This morning, many of you may be confused as to why are we in Exodus, in the Ten Commandments? <laughs> Typically, I just hear this in a series. Uh, I want to preface, preface my statement by, uh, in this sermon by saying I think it is really relevant uh, when it comes to trying to gather together as a people, especially when we've been scattered. You, you, that is what I want to make sure that I make clear this morning. So I'll kind of reiterate what it means to be a covenant family. And just laying my cards on the table, uh, I am going to emphasize the fact that this is not merely a commandment just for children. It's a commandment for all of us. And I want to articulate how. Uh, and the reason I want to do that is because when we come back together as family, uh, I kind of look at Sunday mornings as a family reunion, especially uh, seeing that we are kind of doing our thing throughout the week and if we don't come into interactions. The covenant family is important because we've made vows to one another. And those vows, just like many of you who've been to weddings um, and have stood at weddings and have uh, been behind a bride or and or a groom, and <clears throat> you are affirming that they are upholding those vows. You're holding them accountable to it. They're taking vows before you and God as witnesses and worshipers before the chief shepherd. You do the same thing when you become a member of this church, a covenant member of this church and of the larger body. We take vows to one another. And those vows, we can only uphold them by the power and the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's where we find ourselves in this passage in Exodus. It is a long one, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. So will you bear with me as we read the word of God? Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land. That the Lord your God is giving you. Whew, that was long. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you and bless you as we come to you. Being the one that can open our eyes and can unclog our ears and can unfog our brain so that we may think clearly. We may see your word and we may hear your word. But God, I ask that you do one more thing. That you prepare our hearts to be transformed by your word. Move Michael Davis out of the way. Hide me beneath your cross so that your people may hear you and you alone. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. All God's people said together, amen. Having a church that's intergenerational was important. The community and the conversations oftentimes can be discouraging depending upon how we compare ourselves by generations. Some generations, whether it is, depending on how old you are, uh, you may say that your age, your generation was the golden generation. Comparing yourself to what others and the benefits that others have today, you would say, well, y'all had it better than we had. And if you are younger than your 
peers or your family, you would say, well, you guys didn't necessarily know how to use all of your resources. We, we know that the, the, the battle is what generation is better than the other generation. It's oftentimes the conversation. But, but I wonder if when we look at the church and we look at Exodus 20, verse 12 in this commandment, we look at how it forms and shapes us as a community, as a global church. Because you've got to remember that these laws were giving, given not just to individuals, but it was given to a nation. So can you think about how when you are reading Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, would affect the way you would think about people in Buenos Aires, the church in Buenos Aires? How would it affect you to think about the Ethiopian, Ethiopian church or the uh, church in Jakarta or uh, thinking about um, the understalls and where they will be going in June? Do, does it cause you to think about all of God's people and the family that we are to be together? I would say it should. I would say it should primarily because God does not want us to fall susceptible trying to only put our heads in the sand thinking about how the Bible primarily affects us personally. But we ought to be thinking about how these things cause us to live collectively. Did you hear what I said? It, it, these laws are not only supposed to be applied to us personally, individually, but these are commands that are supposed to be supplied to uh, apply to us collectively. And the reason I believe that is because God wants to be known not just to one generation, not just to uh, your just one to in one individual, but God gives us a unified redemptive obligation to make himself known throughout all generations, throughout all of the world, to all people. But what does it have to do with honoring your mother and your father? that your days may be long in the land that God gives you. We'll answer that. And it's, we'll answer that because I believe the Bible teaches us to make sure that we are individuals that are consistently trying to nurture and we're trying to teach and train, like Baker did wonderfully this morning, our children to be developed in our society and in our community. You don't believe me? Read Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6 says, teach them the Shema on your going and on your coming, when you lay down and when you rise up. So when you are trying to teach your children using the Westminster Shorter Catechism or trying to teach someone else in the church or trying to walk with someone who has never walked with the Lord, a lot of times the way you do it is when you are helping one of your community members or your neighbors move boxes into their house. When you are sharing that, 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 that delicious recipe to someone else and you sit there and you talk about the joy of the Lord. 
and how he's your strength. You, you share about the testimonies that you've had time and time again in your life or what God has brought you through over the course of time, merely through your interactions with one another. What does it do? Your stories encourage each other. How do we understand it? I always like when we ask those questions because I think there's Bible for that. Paul says in his but in the book of Corinthians that we do it because and the way we do it is because our afflictions are testimonies to other people, encouraging words to one another, to comfort each other. And that is important for all of us. Why? Because if we are to be a family honoring one another, not merely biologically, but spiritually, I believe our spiritual lineage supersedes our biological lineage. And in, in doing so, we understand every relationship gives us wisdom, offers us guidance. It helps us dignify each other as human beings created in the image and the likeness of God. And then it also passes along a beautiful portrait as to how we ought to live together collectively as the church before the next generation. Every time I see a children's sermon, I think about the fact that the next pastor or leader of the church my son will be at, how I want them to be trained and built up, how I, how I want them to be able to be loved by the church in order to nurture the church well. Because they are the future generations. They are the ones that, are, that will continue to proclaim the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's the big idea, beloved. The big idea is God's promises. God promises an inheritance for his children to enjoy. So we need to do something. We need to honor God's covenant family. He gives his children promises to enjoy. So we need to honor the covenant family. I don't want to put you to sleep this morning. So if you could just say amen, shake your head, wave your hand, anything. Let me know you're awake. So we, we want to do this with two points. We want to do this acknowledging that we need to dignify those who exemplify godliness. We need to pay attention to those that are in our community that are exemplifying godliness and encourage them. But then two, we need to remember our prosperity is for God's glory. Just to set us up, and when I think about how we ought to look at commandments and these statements, Herman Ritterboss is known for his famous insight regarding the appropriate application of Scripture. He notes that in every imperative that is what we do for God rests on the indicative, that is, who we are in relationship, in our relationship with God. It was my seminary professor, Dr. Brian Chapel who simplified it by saying this, what Christians do is based on who we are in Christ. This morning, as we dive into our text, the, that, that we need to note that the indicative is the promise. In fact, Paul notes this in Ephesians 6 in verse 2, where he says that this is the first commandment with a promise. Therefore, the inheritance and the, the, the imperative to this honoring your father and mother is accord to a promise. Why then do we dignify, we need to dignify those who exemplify 
godliness. It is because there are so many different things that we mix, that we put in and add to what godliness ought to look like. Beloved, if we were to be honest, and over these last couple of years, we know the church has been so divided amongst political and social and other things that we've added those things to godliness. The Bible teaches us how to be godly. The Bible teaches us how to love and care for one another. And I believe the Bible says that we ought to love others as we would love ourselves. Uh, those that are married understand that the Bible also teaches many couples to make sure that you would uh, nurture one another as you would nurture yourself. I don't see any starving people around here. Therefore, I don't think we need to starve one another of love and godliness. Why does the passage start with honor? Notice that honor is important because sometimes we can merely boil honor down to the context of our present day where children just need to respect the authority that is in front of them. Children need to just do what their parents say do. Isn't it funny that this doesn't say children honor your father and mother? It just says honor. That being the case, why doesn't it just specif specify the children? Because all of us need to honor our father and mothers. But are those fathers and mothers, are they merely people that are connected to us biologically? I, I don't believe so. Especially understanding the household of an ancient Near Eastern Israelite. Therefore, this word honor has a great deal of weight and gravitas. This gravitas allows us to see that the imperatives imperative is pressing upon impressing upon the reader the importance of making sure that they honor their mother and father but then also it is this word that is used in so many different contexts where we see David in Psalm in 2nd Samuel 23 and 23 making sure that he honor Israel honoring their prophets in Samuel in 2nd Samuel 9 and 6 a good man is recognized as one who honors the Lord Psalm 15 4 but we also know that it is expanded upon this version of this command by which we see in Deuteronomy 5 16 where it is Honor thy father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you as in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So then, beloved, we also need to understand and believe that honoring your parents or spiritual leaders is directly connected to the fact that you understand that you honor people who exemplify godliness. You honor the individuals around you that exemplify godliness. I still don't seem to make you all believers of it, so let me continue. You might remember that when Gen in Genesis chapter 5, verse 3, where Adam fathered his son in his own in likeness and after his image. This does not mean that Adam created his son. But however, what it means is the term is to acknowledge that the parent is in a is a covenant representative that is imaging God to that child in order for that child to honor the Lord. 
if you were to know and understand what it meant uh, reading certain scholars like John Walton, for those that like to read, an Old Testament scholar who says honor is given to those as a representative of God's authority for the sake of covenant preservation. Listen, there is something that we need to understand that is at stake, and that is that the parental figures and the spiritual leaders and those that rule as parents, uh, there is this issue oftentimes where we don't represent the covenant to our entire family. Sometimes what happens is we represent other things. And so this is why I believe the nation of Israel which was unlike any other nation, was solely to honor one, the one true God who created all things. I'm, I'm trying to lay something out, so if you would just follow me, and then I will explain further. But follow me as you hear, because when you think about the fact that God created a people and took a nation that was supposed to be different from any other nation to exemplify godliness, to draw people in to them, to draw people in to God because there were so many different gods to be worshipped. Why would he be drawing them in to him by the way that the nation of Israel honored one another? The way that they, they responded and loved and cared towards one another. I want you to see what that is saying because this severity of dishonoring results in, in a death or a curse. When you look at Exodus 21, 15, it says, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Deuteronomy chapter 27, 16 says, cursed is anyone who dishonors his father or his mother and all the people shall say amen. I want you to say amen right now. Please don't go home and do anything crazy. <laughs> Israel was a tribal society. And thus, this social context helps us to see that the three levels of kinship, which is tribe, the clan, and the household, are important. This extended family, which shares in the land, was the basic unit of Israel's social structure, economic structure, the land tenure was a part of their economic structure. And the covenant relationship was also central to who they were. So with such social, economic, and, and theological importance attaching to the family and the role of the parents, that's crucial. That is, that is very important for us to take into account. Some of us know from experience or connection to anyone that cannot be their biological child, meaning that if you had to adopt or you had to foster, this would actually be so much more applicable because you're taking in someone that has no biological connection to you. And when you do, you raise them up and train them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. But it doesn't always apply to a child. If it is a person that's homeless and that you take them into your home, you make sure that you exemplify godliness to them as well. 
Anyone who stops by for a meal, if I was a pastor, just stopping by and one of y'all let me sleep in your bed that you had, there's extra. You want to exemplify godliness and I want to dignify the godliness that I see exemplified in your life. Why is that, beloved? I believe because today the honoring one another in the covenant family is at stake. I really do. I believe, beloved, is at stake because our unity is not connected to the reason in which we ought to be Christ-centered. But it is attached to so many different other things. Whether that be our wealth, whether that be our security, whether that be our safety, whether whatever it may be, I want you to think about what is it that I cannot live with? What is it that someone else cannot tell me to do or I don't want to give up? Let me tell you something, beloved. I think Jesus teaches us to live a life with our hands wide open. I love when we do the benediction and receiving, but I also would like for us to think theologically. And when we do the benediction, not only are we receiving, but this is a picture of us having all of our hands open and not closed because we are giving. Giving what? Giving of ourselves, giving of our time, making sure that we honor one another by the way that we give. And our honor is not merely a moral task. But it has implications that affect all of us. My professor would always give us a beautiful picture of what it was to look or read in the oral tradition. Jay Scalar, he would say... Think of an ancient Israelite reading the narrative to either their children or to a a household. Almost like bacon. Recounting stories, though. Recounting what happened when God delivered them from the Red Sea. Recounting what possibly happened when the ten plagues were shown. Illustrated, demonstrated, possibly showing them also what happened when God delivered Israel time and time again and then provide food and water in the middle of a desert. I mean, you would think about all of the stories. I have people in my life, mentors, who like share the same story that I've heard several times that I can recite it back to them. Some of y'all got those people in your life? (laughs) I'm like, I heard that before. And they just don't, they do not hear me. It's going to complete mute. And they continue to tell me the entire story like I've never heard it before. But the beauty of it is, is that that story connects me to them. It reminds me of what they've been through and how they've gotten to where they are now. Church, we need to share stories of what has kept us here so long. What has caused us to be the church When Jesus died for the church and gave his life, why it didn't fall apart when people were being persecuted? Why is the church still here today? Why is First Presbyterian Church right here on the corner and been here so long and has been established in this community? Why is it here today? It is to show honor to the generations past, honor to the generations now, and honor to the generations to come, all for the glory of God, 
all because they exemplified glory. I mean, uh, godliness, all because it means something that is supernatural, that is outside of their ability to be anything but Christians empowered by his spirit to love one's neighbor. So we ought to take our cue from generations past, present and future to continue to advance the kingdom kingdom agenda. Younger generations honoring their covenant brothers and sisters and covenant cousins and nephews, etc. The language we can use all because we are good stewards of what God has given us. And this is how one can honor them instead of being hypercritical of generations. We could be very encouraging and using the words of encouragement to remind us of the promises God has given us. That is how we dignify godliness. Does that make sense? Amen, somebody. Not only do we want to do that, because I can continue to extrapolate on that, but I, I want to go to my next point, where we need to remember our prosper, that, that our prosperity is for God's glory. So if you honor your parents, your spiritual leaders, your mentors, your, your, your elders, your deacons, etc., what does the personal longevity mean? Why, why does he say that it will go well with you? Why does he talk about living longer? Well, according to Jewish scholars, what we need to understand is that this does not necessarily apply merely to personal longevity. Instead, in the ancient Near East, the legal documentation made children's right to inherit their parents' property contingent upon honoring them by providing care. Even the right of future generations of Israelites to inherit the land of Israel was from the way that they honored their parents. But this applies, right? This applies to us, right? The, the things that we pass on to our spiritual children, the things we pass on to our biological children, the things we pass on to every single individual, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be monetary. I know a lot of people, and see, I experienced this. My mother passed away when I was 26 years old. And I experienced when we start talking about where is the insurance money. I, I experienced when my own family, who a lot of them were not walking with God, were asking and inquiring about those things. But you know what my mother pastor passed down to me that, that no one else can ever give me besides God? That is to know God. See, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian household. I, I didn't have uh, my, my, my father and my mother reading me stories and catechisms. <laughs> in fact, I had everything that was opposite of that, telling me to walk away from God. See, when I was a teenager and my mother randomly wanted to start going to church, God did something in my heart when I went to one of those little youth retreats. I, I like to say it, as some of my Baptist brothers and, and, and sisters said, it, it, it's, it's like God turned me around and, and put my feet on solid ground. I didn't come back the way that I came. I was changed in Jesus' name. And the reason I know that I was changed is because the way that I began to proclaim about who I knew, and that was God. Remember, it, 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 it's, it's not so much the imperative, it's the indicative who I'm in relationship with. And so then, when you think about that, beloved, and how this applies, you see, my 
personal story says, then if my mother passed away and she didn't give me anything, the greatest thing is that I have eternal life in our Lord Jesus Christ because she just wanted to start going to church on a Wednesday night. And beloved, I want to tell you that we as a church, we need to care for each other. I can't. I can't say that enough. We need to carry, care for each other even more since we've been scattered for over two years. We need to care for each other even more seeing that the, that, that the global church is being persecuted. We need to care for each other more seeing that people are walking away from the faith day in and day out. Some because of church hurt. Some because things have never been explained to them the way they need to understand. See, beloved, we need to care for each other more. We need to reflect on how we ought to bring God glory in our Sunday school teaching. See, we need to honor our Sunday school teachers. We need to honor our elders in our church. We need to honor our pastors, our student leaders. We need to honor those that come and bake the pies and the cookies and those that make, I've been down in that cafeteria and I've eaten some wonderful food. So I just want to honor the folks that make that food, amen. But we need to honor those individuals because there is love, there's care, there is so much more. And we need to submit to one another in the way that we honor each other. But also we need to reverence God in the way that we do so. Why? Because our prosperity does not come because we just put money in the bucket. It comes in the way that we honor God. Our prosperity, our fruitfulness comes in the way that we bring honor to God for his glory, for his kingdom, for his people. It is not about us. It's about him. It's about his universal church making sure that we are looking to the covenant family to flourish before the entire world. Look, the the people are looking at us, church. The world is looking at us. The world is making critiques of us. The world is calling us out. The world is making notice of how we are not unified. The world is talking about what we're doing. I don't care what they are saying. All I care about as a shepherd is that we make sure that we love one another that's deeply embedded within this, not selflessness, I mean, not selfishness, but selflessness is embedded in this. Why? Because when you look at Leviticus 19, 18, it's connected to the fact that what we must do is love our neighbor as ourselves, prioritizing others over ourselves. It's Philippians 2 tells us the same thing where we are to look to our own, to not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Why is that so important? Why does God give his life? Why does he lay it down? Why do we preach this gospel time and time again is because God is trying to make sure that we as a church honor him and dignify his people in everything that we do. My kids, oftentimes they struggle with this. They certainly don't honor me a lot of times. (laughs) But one of the things I have to remind my children of is whenever they get upset, whenever they make things about themselves. I asked them, who are you prioritizing? Is it you or the family? Is it about you wanting to go here or is it about what the family collectively wants to do? Sometimes I have to ask myself that. Michael Davis, is it about you not wanting to change a diaper right now? (laughs) Or is it about you being exhausted or are you prioritizing your family? I believe the Bible teaches us to make sure that we prioritize 
God's family and the way that we worship and love one another. And one of the best examples of this is uh, one of my favorite examples, and that is uh, I love jazz music. If you love jazz music, there's a jazz vocalist. His name is Gregory Porter, uh, and he's phenomenal. If you, know, if you love Nat King Cole, he, I would say he's the Nat King Cole of our day. But we went to a concert at one time, and I, we've seen him several times, and uh, he shared a testimony. I didn't know that he was walking with the Lord, but he shared how his mother was a Methodist preacher. And around Thanksgiving, and if you know anything about Michael Davis, I love Thanksgiving. I love food. I love to eat. That's why I always eat with your pastor. I don't do anything else. I'm, but eat with him. But what he said was, he said his mother would get together around the table and she would make this entire spread and she would gather the children around. He had eight brothers and sisters around this spread and they would hold hands and begin to pray. As they prayed long prayers over the food, he was only salivating to ap because his appetite was growing the longer the prayer was. Once he heard amen, he knew that it was time to eat. However, his mother said, would you please pack the food up? They weren't expecting to go anywhere besides eating at home. But he said, where are we going? She said, we're taking the food to the alley. Why are we taking the food to the alley? Because we're taking it to those that are sick and afflicted, the ones that are, are forgotten. And see, he has this song called Take It to the Alley. And when he's singing this song, he's talking about taking the first fruits to those that are sick and afflicted, looking to the interests of others, prioritizing that over himself. But the question was, why didn't they give him leftovers? Because she wanted to make sure that they didn't get anything that was left over, picked over. She wanted to give them the very things that they were to be given first. That's dignity. That's godliness. And that is how we glorify God and where our prosperity comes from. And we do that also by the way that we affirm our faith, beloved. Will you stand to your feet? And let us respond to the proclamation of God's word by professing our faith in which we are saying that we love others better than we would love ourselves. And those who are baptized, you say this with strength, with power, conviction, and authority as the universal and Catholic church. Let us read together. 